Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Discovery Duathlon podcast. I'm Brett Haggard. Thanks for joining us. Um, today we're going to be speaking about the most expensive and possibly most technically challenging part of duathlons, namely uh, the cycling bit. And uh, here to speak to me about that is uh, Mr. Mike Ewan, uh, creative consultant and shareholder in Complete Cyclist. How's it, Mike? How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, so, yeah, cycling. The reason I decided we should possibly tackle the cycling gear today is um, mainly because it is the most expensive and possibly the most technical element um, inside triathlons, duathlons, and, uh, well, I suppose if you're a cyclist, it's, it, it, <laughs> it's it. right up there. But, yeah. but, but I think in those two multi-sports, the bit that chips most people up is all of the gear and making the right buying decisions and maintaining, and there's just so much stuff that goes on in and around the cycling element. Uh, whereas I think the run and in triathlons the swim is possibly a little simpler, so um, so yeah I think I think let's let's jump straight into it and speak about um, the bike itself. I think that's a great place to start. Sure, I mean it is the most expensive part of the multi sports space. It's a good place to start because um, there's two things to it. It is um, a category where there's most of the time a lot of gear and no idea. Um, sure. The second thing is that it's an incredibly daunting space. So you have these uh, retailers um, broken up into a number of different spaces where you've got uh, mass stores, which um, which sell literally everything. And then you've got your what they call IBDs, which are your independent bike dealers. And um, I think people pay lip service to it. But in most retail industries at the moment, people are talking about service as the, as the big differentiator. Um, but cycling, you walk in there, typically speaking, you're going to get a guy who is looks like he's just ridden 190 kilometers. Um, he weighs 14 kilograms with his bike, and um, it's incredibly daunting. So you're probably going to leave there having asked maybe 50% of the questions you arrived with, and that's a problem. Um, and for the stores that we, that we have as complete, um, we've addressed that problem by trying to drop the barriers to entry. We've even gone so far as to you know, introduce different types of salespeople to break down those barriers for newbie cyclists coming in while not neglecting a very, very premium, um, highly competitive upper end of the market. There's a lot going on on a bicycle though and I think that that's the bit that a lot of people struggle with and outside of that there's a lot of gear that that, that comes with the territory there. So I thought a great starting point would be for us to break it down. A lot of people have got bicycles and are using bicycles, but they don't know what the stuff's called. They don't know what's important on a bicycle. So so let's talk through some of the most important aspects of the physical bicycle and then some of the equipment that goes on the back of that. Okay, right? so breaking down the anatomy of the bike, basically. Absolutely. Cool. Um, starting off with a big bit in the middle. Um, well, middle, depending on how you look at it. If you look at the bike <laughs> sure. from the side, the big piece holding everything together is the frame. And sure. between brands, that's one of the main differentiators between the different brands. If you take all the kit, all the trimmings, all the gears and wheels and so on off the bike, and you put it onto another frame from another brand, it very quickly becomes a different brand. And the frame is where a lot of R&D goes in. Uh, you take a brand like Specialized, the core core brand of, of complete cyclist stores. That is the brand where millions, millions and millions are spent on R&D, on rider-first sort of engineering. There's a whole lot of trademarks that they're now busy with. But 
basically the fit, the sizing, the good flex, bad flex, uh, basically the way the frame reacts and doesn't react. And but what I mean by that is doesn't react and doesn't flex and doesn't um, let go of all that power that you're putting down and um, does allow in terms of vertical compliance, comfort, and so on. Okay. So that's the big bit, and, and that's the most expensive bit. So a lot of people overlook it. You do get fly-by-night brands. You get Alibaba-type Chinese specials. <laughs> For sure. Um, look, they have their place in the market. I'm not going to overlook it or, or knock it, but if you really want to start with one point, I'd say that's the, the biggest point. That's your first priority when you're looking at a bike. If you walk into a shop and someone convinces you because a mountain bike has an XT rear derailleur, um, which is another part that we'll explain later, but that's sure. your, your rear gear changer, um, and you buy a bike based on that, going up a hill in terms of uh, sort of pivot compliance and um, uh, comfort and so on, that's not really going to do, uh, do a lot to your pedaling efficiency. Sure. So the frame does make it, and that, that applies both road and mountain bike. With the duathlon coming up, speaking specifically around uh, road bikes, Carbon's the thing. People are talking about carbon. It's a buzzword at the moment. has been for many, many years. Um, speak to some industrial designers and they, they almost look at it as part of the dark ages. They, they're yeah, dealing with absolutely. some insanely interesting uh, materials. Sure. I, you, know, I, you know, I take it that uh, specifically for the purpose of duathlon, this is something I found quite interesting as somebody that is a big fan of triathlon and I've done a couple of triathlons. And of course, the holy grail there is the is the time trial bike, right? And you're yeah. talking about these unbelievably streamlined beasts. But the main difference being that the frame encourages a more upright or forward-centric riding style Yes, because uh, the rider would be down on their, on their uh, aero bars or tri bars, leaning further forward. It mm. does some interesting stuff in terms of um, resting certain muscles, but also making you a little bit more aerodynamic. Uh, you work a little less, etc. But the interesting thing that I found with duathlon, and you know, this is probably something that's fairly important to note, is that um, you are unlikely to use a time trial back in a duathlon right now because there are limitations placed on on where your your uh, your tri bars or your aero bars are allowed to protrude to. Mm. They have to be plugged. It's got to be a central thing. You aren't allowed a little elbow rest, etc. Yeah. So the vast majority of people that are looking to do this duathlon are going to do it on a road bike, right? Yeah. And that's that's playing to a draft legal or non-drafting uh, race. Draft legal means that uh, you're going to ride in a bunch. In any sort of bunch riding, there's other rules, all of which you've just mentioned now, sure. um, coupling with other rules where there's a minimum spoke count on your wheels. It's, it's a safety thing. And safety in terms of if something were to happen and people crash, um, you don't want your arm going through a tri-spoke wheel and it can... Um, hurt yourself. Yeah, because they uh, tend to be these these very flattened little blades. Absolutely, right? it's, and it's rotating at a at a serious rate. So there's that, and then also your handling when you're down in a time trial position, you're on those two extended bars leaning on your armrests. Your handling in that position is compromised. It's made to sit in that position so that you are more aerodynamic, so your drag is reduced. But when you're in that you position... You almost steer less, you lean more in yeah. order to move on the back, right? Yes, absolutely. Or, you know, shift direction on the back. Let's absolutely, yeah. And, and time trials, uh, typically, you're not doing too much cornering. Yeah. Um, you're also not doing too, a massive amount of climbing. So you are able to get into a position where you're, the sort of top half of your body, front of the bike, is, is orientated very aerodynamic. And then, as you mentioned earlier, with the bike being shifted forward uh, more aggressively... Your pedaling stroke is is sort of more biased towards a very big 
strong downstroke and then across the bottom of your pedal stroke. I think the other important thing, um, you know, it seems quite obvious to me, but if you look at how time trial bikes are set up, the brakes are not on the tri bars or the aero bars, right? The mm. shifters are there. Yeah. And I think that's from a safety perspective the most important thing. If anything sure. hectic happens, yeah. and that is more likely to happen in a draft legal race, i.e., a race where you're going to be riding closer to other riders, mm. um, you can't pull on the brakes. Yeah, you right? have to, you be have in to sit up and move your hands onto a separate yeah. set of bars. And that reaction time yeah, is just and not there. And th that reaction time is going to put you in a, in, a, in a world of trouble. And from the safety of other riders, other, you know, if they're slowing down in front of you, you're not able to slow down. They've done their job. You don't do yours. You crash into them and you have a problem. But um, when you're talking about a road bike, that is why you deal with three different hand positions. You've got one which is pretty much straight out in front of you. You can sit and relax and climb in. Then you've got your hoods and STIs, which are your gears and brakes all combined in one in one uh, piece of kit on the end of your bars. That's the hand position which people are taught to sit in when you're riding in a bunch because you're in control of the steering, you're in control of the brakes, you're in control of the gears if need be. Sure. Um, if you drop to your drops, which are the protruding low bits on the end, little curvy bits, um, even there you can still be in control of your brakes and your gears. But the gears um, are a little more challenging. But a little bit more challenging, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, even the brakes, the reach is a bit more because sure. now you're... You're having to sort of bend your arms and reach upwards. You can Absolutely. do it um, depending on the fit of the bike, but it is about control. And, and like you say, it's about safety. Next most important thing on a bike, um, uh, I take it, is wheels, right? Yeah, so wheels, um, I think between that sort They're of the one… the turny bits. They're yeah, kind of exactly. critical to the whole experience. Uh, just before that, I'd say probably would be 1B. If you're dealing with a mountain bike, you've obviously got a suspension system. Oh, yes. Suspension systems linked to the frame. Suspension systems about pedaling efficiency. If your wheel is not on the ground, it can't do anything. It's as simple ah, as that. Yes. So from a rear um, wheel, if you are pedaling and you're hitting bumps and it is jumping all over the place and not being kept on the ground, um, it can't do anything. And on the front, you've got both comfort as at the back and then, again, uh, traction. So if the wheel's not on the ground, it can't steer. Sure. So you're going to have an accident. But then moving on to the wheels, you, you, they are the turny bits, um, technically known as the turny bits. Um, <laughs> They, so. they're, they're two, there are a couple of things. So two main things, the dead weight of a wheel. Uh, it's, mm. it's a heavy piece of kit, can be. It's made up of spokes, hub, central bit, um, connected to the rim, the outside bit. And um, that dead weight is one aspect. The other thing is the rotational weight. So because they're the only two rotational masses on a bike, when you're playing with the weights there and you start reducing those weights, specifically on the outside of it and increasing the stiffness of that, to accelerate that mass and then maintain this, the, the rotation of that mass becomes better. So your efficiency in terms of your, your pedaling and your acceleration and your maintenance of speed improves. And that's what you want to do. If you can sit at 40, 40 kilometers an hour and use less energy than the person next to you because of your wheels, you're going to get on the run a lot fresher. Or okay. you're going to be able to go faster with the same energy. So weight. Weight is the important thing. Weight. And weight Lighter depending is better, on where yes. Yes and no. I think light across all products in cycling. To make a light product, you simply put less material in it. Yes. It's as simple as that. So light doesn't necessarily mean better. And also, um, lighter isn't, you know, light, light's strong and cheap. They always say pick two. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> you're really not going to get all three. Um, so you need something reliable. If it's a full carbon fiber clincher, which is a tire and tube makeup on the tire, you know, you need something strong. Your braking forces there, your braking heat um, plays a factor on the, on the rims. 
and you need to take into account that you're probably going to use them every day. So they need to be reliable. You're not going to replace a 25,000 Rand set of wheels every year. For so sure. you need something that lasts four or five years. Also talking about uh, probably the majority of this audience is looking at uh, spending less than half of that on their entire, on their entire bicycle exactly. and uh, keeping it for far longer than no, a year sure. or two years. Um, okay, so so that explains wheels. Interesting there. A couple of factors, weight, aerodynamics, uh, quality of the hubs also, the bearings and stuff like yep. that. Size of bearings. Sure. So so the bike shop should speak you through some of that kind of stuff. Um, now we come to something called the group set or yeah. the grupo, mm-hmm. if you want to be fancy and sound all Italian. Um that's a pretty intrinsic part of the entire bike, um, mainly because it contributes a whole bunch of factors. There's weight, there's the availability and number of gears, there's the speed and smoothness of shifting, there's the efficiency of the brakes. But you know, essentially, when we talk about group set, we're talking about uh, the brakes in combination with the shifters slash brake levers. Um, in combination with uh, the crank, that's the bit that's attached to the pedals, um, the chain, the cassette, and the derailleurs, which are the bits that allow the front and rear uh, gear changing to happen, yeah? Yeah, it's all the connecty bits. It's it's the bits that are doing the changing of the gears, um, selection of gears, it's the gears themselves, so your cogs, um, your cassette at the back is made up of a number of cogs, cogs so that's the gears. At the front, you've got your chain rings, Mm. Um, that's the driving force the cogs are being driven by that connected by the chain your shifters up top those are selecting the gears and then you've got your brakes on a road bike which is all in one brake and shifter and everything which makes up the STI and the Shimano range um, Campy's got their Ergo lever and SRAM's got a number of different options there absolutely but, um, it is it is quite a as you say intrinsic piece of the of the whole setup because it's the dead weight of the equipment. So your brakes uh, are made up of little calipers which stop on the wheels. That they, they sit over the the wheel arch. Yes. Um, then you've got your your cables. Cables weigh something. Absolutely. Um, your chain, your cassette, your chain rings, your crank, your BB. The BB is the bottom bracket. That's the uh, almost two. the axle, right? It yes. is. It's the axle of the cranks, if you want yes. to call it like that. It's where your your cranks, which are the two big arms that you're pedaling with, connected by the pedals turn within the frame and the bb is what what sits inside the frame or sometimes screwed in and sits outside the frame but that's your bottom bracket those are the bearings that are turning and allowing that to turn that's quite important because the size of that does matter where nice big bearing there nice stiff bb allows uh, less power to be lost through 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 acceleration so you don't spend all this time getting fit and strong and as you accelerate there's this floppy piece of spaghetti below you and it doesn't get transferred into power through the rear wheel. Now, the best piece of advice I was given in terms of when you're selecting a group set, and often people, if they're buying a complete bike, won't have the ability to do that. If they're building a bike up, they'll be able to select it. And also just trying to make a decision in terms of when to upgrade those items, if you do ever end up upgrading them, was um, somebody said to me, always look at reliability as opposed to weight. Because here's the interesting thing about... about uh, these components while you say they do add a fair amount of weight to the mix um often the uh, the weight weenies or the serious serious road bikers will be, oh that's like 17 grams lighter than the other one and look it's 40 grams we're often speaking about grams here mm-hmm. all right and um from what i can gather anything from uh, three levels from the top on any of the brands you're not talking about a gigantic jump in terms of functionality that's mostly about weight right 
It is. The the functionality comes in in terms of the ability to shift through multiple gears in one movement. As you go up through the range, your crispness and actuation of the brakes, so the same movement does more braking, if that makes sense, or sure. less movement to do the same braking. And that's just the way where the axis, the axis points are, are put on the shifters. But um, you're right, it, it is down to grams. Um, it does sound to, to, a, to a sort of non-cyclist listening to this, getting into it, or to someone who's just got into it, or someone who's never going to get into it. <laughs> you're looking at, um, at grams. But over a number of different parts, if you take... 60 70 grams over 15 pieces of the bike yes that adds up to quite a quite a oh, chunk absolutely. and 500 grams uh, a kilo you know it's like carrying an extra water bottle or two in your back pocket sure so weight does make quite a quite a big difference and i'd speak to you know speak to whoever you're dealing with your guy in the cycling industry chat to him about weight because there's always a big one about where you spend your money there's certain places that you really don't need to try and save weight. You know, trying to find the lightest saddle you can find um, over comfort. It's not somewhere where I want, I'm personally going to go and try and save 120 sure. grams. I could spend that same money and drop weight on my handlebars and get a handlebar that's more comfortable as well, or sure. get lighter, more reliable tires, and so on. So weight is, um, yeah, it's 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 to be to be discussed um, and and questioned. On that note. Um, something that I'd like to end with when we talk about the bike in its totality is, of course, all of those contact points. And this, you know, people get very obsessed with the frame and the wheels and the group set when some of the most important stuff is actually the handlebars, mm -hmm. the saddle, yep. right, and the pedals. And in concert with the pedals, probably um, the shoes that you're going to use with them because these are all the points where your body comes into contact with that bike. And that's going to be either very comfortable or not comfortable depending on your decisions right it, it makes a huge difference and and I'll, I'll use it again as an example but you take a brand like specialized and drilling it right down into a, a very very impressive example but they took their latest glove for the mountain bike and they essentially got a top hand surgeon got him into the company joined their body geometry division and they designed a glove which just excels in everything. It, it makes the, the whole experience of holding the handlebar that much more comfortable. Wow, okay. And that's a glove. So they essentially filled in the little void in the middle of your palm with a, a pad so that when you're holding the handlebar, there is an equal sort of weight distribution across the glove. Wow, okay. So that's a contact point. You move to saddles. Saddles are shapes. Um, there's different weights to them. There's different padding um, thickness and 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 uh, sort of firmness, and then there's also width. So specialized, yes. unlike some other brands, they deal with width. So you sit on two sit bones; those are set bones. Those aren't going to change. Yeah. You They're can't uh, you can't move the. You're not going to move. You're those. not going to move your no, skeleton. Not unless not you have a serious accident. <laughs> but um, and they're also not dependent on body size. So me personally, I ride a one five five specialized saddle. I get ripped off for it. I say it's because the big pistons. But um, it, it's not dependent. He's talking about his legs, That's people. the one, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's on width. And then handlebars. So you've got different widths. And that deals with the actual fit of the bike, the ability to handle the bike, 
then you place width of your shoulders, width of your shoulders, yeah, everything. Yeah. And, and and also if it's too narrow, you start actually closing up your lung capacity, so it affects your breathing. That intensity affects okay. your performance, and all of this is drilled down into a into a system which they developed called the body geometry fit system okay. from Specialized, and that is that entails a person going in and having a full body analysis for an hour before they even get onto the bike, which takes another hour to hour and a half to get fitted to it. So that's a, wow, okay. a two and a half hour process, taking into account all the contact points and the ergonomics of the bike and biomechanics to fit a person to the bike. Interesting. So all of that plays to exactly how important all that stuff is. I'm going to speak about practical stuff for a second. Mm. All right. The most practical part of the entire experience. Helmet. Yeah. Your lid. Mm-hmm. The, the thing bit, the, the thing you're sold that we hope you never use, yes. if you know what I mean. That's something you shouldn't skimp on at all. No, we've got a saying, 10 rand helmet for a 10 rand head. And it basically means that it's not an area that you want to skimp. You can nowadays get a decent helmet anywhere up. It's from about seven, 800 rand, which is not a lot. Um, a good, decent helmet brand should carry some sort of a crash replacement policy. Specialized carries a, a 50% uh, sort of buy-in well essentially when you crash your helmet's going to break up and deform so that your skull and head doesn't so it's going to protect you it's going to do what it's supposed to do you take the helmet back and you get a brand new one of that kind for half the price because it's done what it's supposed to do so it's performed Absolutely. its task yeah, yeah. so a helmet and then there you're playing with as you start spending more and more it's going to get lighter it's going to get better ventilated although now there's a whole lot of aerodynamic helmets which are coming in for road not the big um, I suppose, like it looks like a, a bird's beak backwards. Yes. Not those kind of things, but using a road helmet and making it more and more aerodynamic. So those Very cool stuff with airflow. And yeah, they start closing up vents and they start putting you know exhaust systems on the back that's sucking the air out of the top of the helmet and so Fascinating. on. Fascinating! Wow. But it makes a huge difference. So you, you put that in a wind tunnel. They've specialized. Got actually got their own wind tunnel now called the wind tunnel. And it's yeah, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's yes. all about the you know analyzing absolutely every inch of the bike and the rider, the position of the rider, to to gain that little bit in every single space. Sure, of course you've got shoes, and there's so many interesting things going on um, in you know in terms of shoes, and that's something that I think is going to be massively individual. So you need yeah. to go and you need to... Uh, you've got you know, fit, the, fit there, much like a helmet, actually. You've got fit, you've got a big head, you've got a, some brands that don't just fit you. Uh, much like shoes, you've got wide fit, narrow fit. Um, certain brands have a very narrow toe box. So okay. a guy with a wide foot's actually just never, ever going to wear that brand. So although his mate says he must buy that, he goes and buys it. He's never, ever going to be comfortable in that. Going to get Even, pins and needles and a yeah, sword, it's, it's sword just toes not, and not stuff worth like it. That, yeah. And um, if you take how many hours you're going to be out there on the bike, it's worth spending a bit of bucks getting something nice and stiff. Stiff so that your foot doesn't have to take up all that force that you... Yes. It's like trying to, to run on your toes or on the ball of your foot for an entire marathon. Your feet are going to get quite fatigued. Sure. So that's why a cycling shoe has to be stiff because you're on the ball of your foot the whole time. You don't hit your, you don't have a heel strike and then roll over onto your foot. Then something else that also comes into the whole contact points side of things is uh, uh, your cycling shorts or or uh, your your tri singlet or your tri suit or there are many varieties in terms of these, but largely. Uh, Largely, this is a mistake that I see so many people make is they go for the cheapest, most off-the-shelf brand they can possibly find. Um, they end up spending a fortune on the bike and mm. then they end up spending two or three hundred rand on a, on a set of cycling shorts. That chamois 
all right, which is the padded little bit in the seat is probably one of the most important things. And uh, going through a lot of cheap different ones, you could have just bought the right one to start with, right? Absolutely. And it actually plays back to anything. You, know, you take your bike, you buy over-purchasing is going to hurt. Obviously, it's going to hurt your bank sure. manager or your you know, financial manager or financial queen or king at home. <laughs> They're going to hurt you. But um, if you buy too cheap, under-purchasing can actually be more detrimental to you in your pocket sure. because you're going to end up buying twice. But um, on your point of skimping there, if you break a – and we do this often with, with customers or the guys in the shops do. But um, if you break a set of shorts, even a 2,000 rand, Yes. down to two rides a week for a two to three year period your cost per ride comes down lower than a than a cappuccino yeah it's it's and um that's that's really worth it and it's comfort you also avoid these really amazing lovely things called uh, saddle sores yes. which uh, are in a place where you're sitting on the saddle so when you, when you develop one you can't now go and sit in another position because well, well, you kind of forced into that position. Absolutely. So you want to avoid that. But and it'll hurt you outside of your, your, your riding also. Every time you sit, you're yep. going to feel it. It's going to be massively uncomfortable when you walk. Yep. No, it, it really, it's not nice. And if you can prevent all of that, by all means, makes it more comfortable, makes it more enjoyable, um, your ride. But the two main things that I, th- that I like to tell people about chamois is uh, they're multi-layered yes. because they are um, avoiding friction. So there's one layer that's typically going to sit on your skin. The other layers move against each other so that they don't move against your skin. And the other point is the moisture management. Highly absorbent materials to absorb all the good things that are going on down there while you're exercising. In terms of thickness, yeah, it plays a, it plays a role. You've got endurance chamois. You've got thinner chamois. But again, thickness, thick, thickness is so subjective because thicker is often not better. No. Uh, thickness, right. same with a saddle. Big, thick, nice couch not necessarily going to provide more comfort it's going to often allow or create more areas for possible friction of course the other thing when you're speaking multi-sports is it might be really really comfortable to have a thick endurance chamois for when you're only cycling Mm -hmm. but you're gonna have to run before and after and there's absolutely there's often not time to go and quickly find a portal loose and and you can change that's why the tri suits have a very very small chamois you're also going to be in the water so you've got this massive absorbent um, nappy in your in, in your in your suit it's going to absorb all that water and create drag so you literally need a very small um, chamois to sit on the saddle and the position that the triathletes sit right near the edge of this the front yes. of their saddles so it's padded in a different it's padded spot in, yeah. a seri- in a certain area then the last thing i think and this is something that plays into into the concept of getting the whole picture before uh, you go and decide on a bike you need to have a sense of what your total budget is and then consider things like we've been speaking about the helmet often people forget about that they only look at the at the bike and they end up adding up the cost of the helmet and then a decent set of cycling shorts and potentially some shoes if they're going to be using cleats mm-hmm. and uh, you know um sports specific glasses there we go and but, all the spares and goodies and but stuff i think the spares have. and goodies was kind of where i was getting at mm. in terms of this it's like know that you are going to need a tabby bag, which is this little bag that fits under your, your, your saddle. Yeah, I know the serious cyclists right now are kind of going, that's against the rules. You have to you know, stick it all in your pockets. No, but, I'll but to the far personally. I personally I use one. My, uh, my very expensive physique saddle's got a little slot where my saddle bag clips directly into it. It's great and aerodynamic and very, very convenient. And I don't have to have this bag of stuff sitting on the back of my cycling jersey. But... Um, know that you are going to need 
um, a, a way to inflate a flat tire because flat tires are inevitable, a way to get that tire and that tube off of the rim, um, a, 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 you know, a spare tube, right? Mm. A patch, a couple of essentials are going to need to be in there. And of course, the most important one is knowing how to change that, right? Yeah, all those tools, you need to be taken through what you're getting. So make sure you've got everything, uh, as you say, the tube, the, the tire levers that takes the tire on and off, all those individual bits, um, as well as the tools. You can get multi-tools now that don't have a chain breaker. If you go and get a chain breaker, you'd obviously need to have a quick link or power link or master link, whichever brand you're dealing with, that's going to replace that link. So all the gear and no idea again, you need to understand how it all works. But um, I always say the best multi-tool or best tool that you have is the one with you when you need it. Absolutely. Um, this fancy multi-tool that you have and don't know how to use, pretty useless, as well as having this tool and not taking it with you and then using it is also pretty useless. So get all this stuff, work out how to carry it with you all the time um, and know how to use it. If you've got a bike, you now understand how it works. If you still have to get a bike, we've given you a ton of information, mm-hmm. all right, that you can use. You can, can even use. look at hiring bikes. Though. There we go. There's a bunch of, of, of you know, options in terms of that and I know that Discovery specifically is looking into, yes. into partnering with a couple of bike shops in terms of hiring bikes and that kind of stuff. So... Um, the most important thing, though, is to go out and enjoy it. I think yeah. go out and ride. It's That's a, why we it's do It's really this. a gift. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to have a bit of uh, spare time and to get out there and do something that's fun um, and healthy. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, you've got to yeah, use That's why stuff. we do it. Go and enjoy it. Um, if you're not enjoying it, you kind of got to question why you're doing it, unless you're a pro and you're amazing and people are paying you millions of brands <laughs> to do it. Um, In which even, case your priorities are slightly different. Your priorities, <laughs> and you're probably enjoying it. But uh, go and do it. And, and your point of going out and ride is, is bang on. I get asked this all the time and our guys in the shops get asked this all the time. Um, you know, what sort of training must I do? How many hours? What sort of power wattage should I be doing? What T2, T3? All these sort of terms. And what I say to people is if you're just getting into it, get a bike, um, get all the stuff, get the idea of how to use it. And then divvy up your time. If you have four hours a week, go and ride for four hours broken up into whatever time scale that is don't get too fixated on what pace to ride um, what intensity to ride literally go and get some miles in the legs or kilometers because that's what we use here Um, but go and go and ride and and actually enjoy get the legs turning because once you've built a base of of actually riding a bike for a period of time you can then start to get more specific around your training for sure and the same goes for running, you know, not Absolutely. to neglect the running. Absolutely. Um, and on duathlon, mixing those both together, go and get used to what they call a brick session because those hurt. Um, don't go and find some bricks and start carrying them around while you're running and cycling. <laughs> Probably it, a good brick session, but not no, the kind we're not, talking not about. Not the kind. You're going to be a lot lighter in the race. But go and do a ride and then do a run immediately afterwards uh, in the shoes and practice your transition. That's the transition between the ride and the run. So you need to be able to um, train your muscles to work differently. It's not different muscles. It's the same muscles in a different way, different range of motion. So you've got to get your body used to what you're going to do on race day. Absolutely. Well, there we go. Tons for you to digest. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. It was really, really great speaking. If this is your first time listening to the Discovery Duathlon podcast, um, you should go back and listen to uh, our first episode where we talk through uh, some of the details of the race and some of the vital stuff that you're going to need to know on race day. Also stay tuned uh, for uh, for upcoming podcasts where we're going to speak through nutrition, training tips. Uh, we're going to speak to some uh, um 
professional duathletes and triathletes about some of the stuff um, that, that they need to remember and some of the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them, which I think will be quite interesting. And uh, you can do that through either visiting the uh, Discovery Duathlon website, discoveryduathlon.com. At the same time, uh, look us up on iTunes or SoundCloud if you search for Discovery Duathlon Podcast or Discovery Duathlon Cast. You'll uh, find all the details, click on the subscribe button, and uh, you'll get fantastic info every week. Until then, take care. Cheers. Cheers.